we've had an opportunity over the last four weeks to give attention to Ecclesiastes, probably one of the hardest books in the Old Testament to try to understand. Um, I have wrestled back and forth with it as I have read it and prayed through it. And we have uh, endeavored over the course of the last few weeks to try to uh, find what it is that God is saying and speaking to us through uh, this Old Testament book, a book of wisdom. Uh, don't claim that we have gotten to the bottom of things yet. Except today, as we read earlier, and even as we will give attention to again here in just a few minutes, there is the truth of the fact that there is an end of the matter. And God has not left us apart from understanding that there is an end of the matter. Koalith, the narrator has said, concluded that... uh, All is vanity. In other words, all is brief. All is to sum together uh, meaningless. And as he worked and sought through various endeavors in various ways and trying to give his attention to various things in the course of life, that's what he concluded. And we read in chapter 1, and if you will turn back there, we read in verse 2, vanity of vanities says to preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And then if you'll look in chapter 12 and verse 8, Uh, We end where we began. And the conclusion is vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity, but that is not the end of the story. You see, Koaleth was seeking to try to find, and we have stated, is there purpose in our living in this fallen world? You know, that's the question that we have today. Is there purpose and meaning? Is Is there any real value in our lives? We're living in a fallen world. Life is not easy. I'm looking around knowing some of your lives and some of your circumstances and some of it is evident even as you're here today. Life is hard. We live in a fallen world. And we're trying to make sense out of life in the midst of this fallen world. I have a friend of mine now that is walking along with this 13-year-old grandson who has some rare form of cancer and they're trying to find if there is some kind of a solution to this problem. And he is, the, the, the young man's mama and daddy, all of them that are involved are trying to make sense out of all of this in the course of life. And everybody else's life seemingly is going on He knows that's not true. He knows that there are others are struggling. But for him and his family during this time, he's trying to find purpose and meaning in the course of living in this fallen world as he walks along beside his grandson. I know of families today that are suffering and struggling, needing comfort, trying to find meaning in the course of this life when loved ones have passed away. I know of young people that are ending their high school careers and they are looking and giving thought about what will they do with the rest of their lives? Will they make a difference in life? Will life be here for them? Who will they marry? What will they do? Trying to give thought and attention to what is the purpose? 
when every turn that I take and every move that I make, there seems to be some kind of resistance. I think that's pretty much our story, isn't it? Isn't that your story in some way? Change the circumstances. Sure, yours may not read exactly like that. You've heard me say, I'm walking alongside of a 93-year-old father who after at the end of these days, still trying to make sense of purpose and meaning in the course of this life. I have a little bit more life behind me than some of you, but there was the day that I woke up and realized that I had more life behind me than I have in front of me. And I have asked my, the question over and over again. And I'm talking about, and it's a perplexing question, has my life really made any difference? What has been the purpose and meaning of my life? And that is what Koalith set out to do. Was to find out in the course of this world, is there purpose and meaning in life? And at every turn with everything that he tried, we realized that he concluded that life is brief and that there are some universal things that he could count on. He could count on that things would cycle back around, so to speak, and that he would not experience a whole lot different in the course of life than what others before him had experienced or what those who would come after him are experienced. Life is rather limiting in some of those ways. You will succeed in some things and you will fail in some things. You will, as he said, you will suffer some maybe a lot, and hopefully you will succeed in some things and experience some reprieve at times and some joy. There are those that you will encounter who are righteous and then there are those who are unrighteous. Sometimes things will seem fair, other times things will seem so unfair. Sometimes some form or inkling of justice will be met, and at other times, it won't. And those are the things that he found as he made these turns in the course of life. And you would think that at verse 8 of chapter 12, that he started with the conclusion, all is vain, and he would end at all is vain, and that the story would be over. But it's not. Let's look at what the text says. Verse 8. Vanity of vanity says the preacher. All is vanity. We've gone back to the narrator now. And the narrator seems to be speaking. Verse 9. Besides being wise the preacher also taught the people knowledge. Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they're given by one shepherd my son beware of anything beyond these of making many books there's no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh the end of the matter 
All has been heard. Fear God. Keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment. And with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So what can we conclude? I want to give you the punchline. Okay? And then we're going to come back and look at some portions of this text. Things eternal. And you just, you just go ahead and you want to write this down, remember it, I'll send it to you. You just remember this. Things eternal shape our thoughts, our actions, and our attitudes. Our lives in this temporal state and in the presence of this temporal environment. The eternal things shape these things. Whether we want to admit it, whether we seek to look to the eternal or not, at the end of the day, ultimately, they will shape how we move and work through this life. They have to. Because God has placed eternity in our hearts and we push against it, we fight against it, we may miss seeing it, but it nevertheless changes in some way how we view life. The way you view eternity is going to determine how you deal with and how you view life. The eternal affects the way we hold on to temporal things the way we acquire temporal things, the value that we give temporal things. And these are good things. Many of them are good things. The things we have are good things. Houses are good things. Family members are good things. Children are good things. Spouses are good things. Relationships are good things. Jobs are good things. All of these things are good. But the value that we place on them and the way that we hold on to them are shaped by our view of eternity. The temporal's not bad. It just isn't best. The temporal's not meaningless. It is purposeful. Life is purposeful. What we do is purposeful. And it doesn't render us helpless. It is helpful. Why? Because God has made it and He's created it. I want us to look at three things in the few minutes that we have. I believe it was Tim Keller that wrote <clears throat> uh, in his book, the, the Reason for God. He recalled a statement that Quentin, uh, in one of Arthur Miller's uh, books that he wrote, he recalls what, what Quentin had to say, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase this. Quentin said after he had viewed life, he had viewed life and thought of life in terms of it being uh, uh, some kind of a legal process. In other words, uh, he had viewed life along the way with all of its struggles and all of its ups and downs and all of those things that at some point in time, things would be meted out before a judge. And then Quentin determines at the end 
that that's really not the case that there is no judge. In other words, he was arguing for the thing that made sense of life for him up to a certain point had been the fact that he thought that in the end he would face, face a judge. But then he came to determine in his mind that there was no judge. And it changed everything else about the way that he viewed life. Back some time ago, I can recall, and I can't remember when it was, I was listening to an interview of James Taylor. How many of y'all are familiar with James Taylor? Uh, I love his music. You know, he grew up in North Carolina, but uh, in the interview, uh, someone had asked him the question, um, or actually made the observation of his music, he said, it seems that your music is so spiritual. And James says it is. <clears throat> and he says, and here's why. He said, uh, we're made spiritual beings. He didn't offer an answer for that. He said, I grew up in a home where my mom and dad were atheists. He said, they did not teach us about God. Didn't teach us about the reality of God. But he said that didn't change anything. In the end, I recognize that I am a spiritual being. Therefore, much of what I have to say in the way of song is working through my spirituality. And he said, and everyone does it. And that was kind of the end. It is both sad, but it was also promising. It was sad in the sense that he couldn't claim Christ as his Savior. He had not yet come to understand the glory of God in Christ Jesus and it was God who had made him spiritual and he is on a journey and his life did have meaning and purpose which he knew and said that he did. He just doesn't know the ultimate end to that. Why mention that? Well, we could have concluded at the end of verse 8 of chapter 12 that Koalith had kind of done the same thing, that he had worked through all of these things and that he was a spiritual being and he, and he made some good observations and he said some good things, but that was not the end of the story. Let's look at what the observation that I find, number one, in verse 9, the narrator, if you will, whoever that is, says... Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care, the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Well, the observation is, is that this man was commended. It's pretty clear in Scripture when things are commended and when things are condemned. Uh, if you're not clear on that, then just travel back to the last book of the Bible and look, and Jesus was very clear in how He commended the church and how He condemned the various churches. We know that sin is condemned. Those who sin are condemned. Scripture tells us we're condemned to death, we're condemned to judgment, and rightfully so. As Adam said, we've committed cosmic treason, we've sinned against God. But Scripture also helps us understand the things that are commended. And in this case, at the end of the story, Koalith was commended. 
was commended that he was a wise man, commended that he had taught the people well, commended that he had studied and arranged and weighed through the things of life. And notice what it says, and he sought to find words of delight, and he wrote them uprightly. In other words, his observations were validated. Well, why is that? Because God is a gracious God. God is a gracious God. I was thinking about this text and thinking about all the mistakes that I have made in life. I was thinking about all my sin, but I was also thinking about those amoral decisions that are mistakes. And God has been gracious in the course of those in teaching me things that are good and right about life. What should we take away from that? Well, Cole has set out to find if there was meaning and purpose in life. And we tracked along and we won't rehearse all of those things today, but he set out and said, well, I'm going to find it by accomplishing great things. And he did. He accomplished great things in the course of life. Uh, He built great buildings. Uh, He was a king. He ruled well. He amassed wealth. He did everything that most of us, at least at some point in the time of our life, had hopes and aspirations of doing. Being being them right or being wrong, that's what we set out to do at some point in time in our life. Is there any person here that at some point in time in your life did not think these are the things that I will accomplish? Be honest. Sure you did. There was a day as a young man or a young woman that you were hopeful that you would be successful in life. And these were your hopes and aspirations. Well, he realized all of those things. And at the end, you know what he realized? They were not fulfilling. They had not created anything. They had not done anything about helping him understand the purpose but God was gracious in showing him this thing God was gracious in showing him that none of these things could do what God could do God has been gracious to you in that as well he's been gracious to me couldn't find it in wisdom couldn't find it in study couldn't find it in education couldn't find it in indulging himself Couldn't find it even in writing. Couldn't find it in any of those things in the course of his life. He concluded certain things that at the end, the righteous man and the fool, the wise man and the fool, both end up at the same place. They die. They both end up at the same. They die. Their life ends here. Why? Because life is fleeting. What did all that have to do? God was gracious to him, and God has been gracious to you. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Think about all the things that God has done in sustaining you to this point. Now, we're living here under the sun. We're still here. We have people that we love and have cared a lot for who have gone into eternity. Some have gone to be with the Lord. But we are left here contemplating and thinking about life and living life and looking ahead to persevere to the end together. And in the course of that, 
Think about how God has sustained you in the things that he has taught. He has been gracious and merciful to you in the way that he was gracious and merciful to Koalith. And Koalith, listen, he was not a stranger to suffering. You say, oh, he had all of these things. He did all of these things. You know the greatest suffering there is? is to find yourself alone with no one to turn to and nothing to count on but yourself. We read in our call to worship this morning in the 147th Psalm. What is it that God looks at? He doesn't look at the strength of your legs. He doesn't look at the horses you have amassed. He doesn't look at your wealth. The things that please God are those who fear him. So there's grace in the way that God has dealt with you. And that leads us to a truth. Look at verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed on the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. If you're looking at your copies of Scripture, you may find that that word is capitalized. It's capitalized for a reason. It wasn't just the fact that they came along and capitalized. All along the way, Koalith has looked back and he has acknowledged the presence of God. I'm not claiming he was righteous. I don't know that about him. Some would say that it was Solomon. And I don't know if Solomon ever repented of his sin. I don't know. That's not the point. The point is, is that God is God. And God was gracious in guiding him through these times in life. And he has written these things. And at the end of the day, God is commending that wisdom because all wisdom and truth come from God. And we recognize that it is given by one shepherd. And to do what? To goad, to prod, to push us to see what is most important in life? Isn't that what Jesus did all along the way, the great shepherd? Isn't that what he did? In Matthew 6.33, he tells us to seek first the kingdom of God. Why? He is prodding us. He is sticking a goad into our side, pointing us to the thing that will, the thing that alone will give us hope and meaning and purpose, the kingdom of God. Remember what we said? That at the end that we would conclude that how we view eternity, how we view the kingdom of God, how we view the purposes of God ultimately make a difference in the way that we live, make a difference in the way that we think, make a difference in the way that we deal with each other, make a difference in how we view church, make a difference in the way that we worship God. My worship was rich this morning. Last week, I couldn't be with the body of Christ. Last week, my body ached. Last week, my mind was tired and fatigued. And this week, I was able to come back and look at God's Word with you and hear from God and to sing and to be encouraged and to worship the God that has given me life and has sustained me. The eternal shapes what we do. It shapes what we do in the immediate. 
And it will shape what we do tomorrow. And it is the great shepherd that continues to go. Isn't that what Jesus did all along the way? Turn to John's gospel, if you will. All along the way, Jesus had those who were saying that they believed. And all along the way, in John's gospel, he was saying, now you just think you do. Look in verse 18. Jesus has cleansed the temple early in His ministry. Chapter 2, verse 18. And so the Jews said to Him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy the temple and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews then said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But He was speaking about the temple of His body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken in. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But notice what Jesus does. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about him. For he himself knew what was in man. He knew whether they were really believing. He knew whether their faith was genuine. Did you know that God knows that about you today? Did you know that God really knows if you believe in Him today? Besides what you may say, besides what you may want to make me believe, besides what you may want to make the people of this body believe, besides of what you want everyone else around you to believe, God knows Jesus knows and I'm not saying that to scare you I'm not even saying that to make you feel less about your faith I just want you to know that this God that we have sung about today and that we look to and that gives all wisdom and that prods us and his son Jesus Christ who continues to point us to what is true and right he knows our hearts And this thing of believing in God that is fleshed out in our fear of Him and our worship of Him and our obedience to Him, this thing is a real thing. It's real. What we think about eternity, folks, tells us what we think about God. Is He soft? Is He hard? Does he mean what he says? Does he care? And everything about what I see throughout what Jesus does, this great shepherd in prodding people, says that he cares. Turn to Mark's gospel, if you will. We know it's true. Chapter 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you like one thing, go, 
sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened is the word. Hear that? Disheartened. An unwilling heart. Did you hear what we sang earlier when we were praying and interceding on our behalf and our song as we sing, Holy Spirit of God, breathe on me. We spoke of in that text, in fact, take your worship guides and turn over to the, the song. I want you to hear that. It struck me when I was selecting the song. Breathe new life into my willing soul. Here was an unwilling heart. And what did he say? It wasn't what he said. He said, I believe. I have. I've done. But disheartened, his heart resistant to what Jesus said, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Look over in Mark chapter 8. All along the way, Jesus is prodding the great shepherd through this wisdom, prods, prodding us today in the same way that Koalith was prodded. And he began to teach them in verse 31 that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can man give in return for his soul? All along the way, the good shepherd prodding and goading. That's what he's doing today. He's been gracious and merciful in sustaining you and where you are. If you're a believer or if you're an unbeliever, you are here today because God has sustained you. Make no mistake there. You are not here on your own strength. You are not here on your own accord. And you may not have even planned earlier this week to be here today. He is gracious in providing today. And he is prodding and goading. He's prodding and he's goading. To do what? To point us to that which is the end 
of the matter. And what is that? Verse 13. We've read it two other times. Hear it again. The end of the matter. All has been heard. All accounts are settled. Everything is done. What is left to say? What is left to say? Here's what's left to say. Fear God and keep His commandments for this is the whole of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, how did he conclude that? Well, let's back back up in Ecclesiastes and we'll find out. Look in chapter 5. Verse 4. If you thought all along the way that God's grace was not present and that the power of God was not directing Kohalath and that somehow or another he was operating just on his own and he was a really wise man, you were wrong. You were wrong. No, God was prodding him to conclude this and, and if we even wanted to take the position of the narrator and say that the narrator is looking back on Koalith and he's trying to bring all of Koalith's thoughts together, at least this is true. In chapter 5 and verse 4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you owe. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one what? That you must fear. What was he saying? He was saying that God demands our worship. He's worthy of our worship. Our word in coming to look at, look at God and to commit to God, which is right. We ought to commit to God. God works within our hearts for us to realize by the power of the Holy Spirit. We read that earlier in Romans. It's the Spirit of God that works and bear witness upon us and enables us to say, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit of God at work by His grace that does that. And when that occurs and we come and we commit to Him, we ought to live that commitment. That's what it means to worship God. I'm not here to rant and rave and beat up on the church today. My goodness, church needs to be encouraged. It doesn't need to be beat up on. But I will say this, that the church who would preach or teach or the preacher that would preach and teach and at least not conclude what this wise man that we're not even sure was repentant at the time could say, his word was, you commit to God, live it out. By the Spirit of God working in you, yielding to Him, live it out. What does that mean for you today? I want to tell you there's no such thing as closet Christianity. There's no such thing as closet Christianity. If you trust God today, if you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, we didn't finish reading it in chapter 10 of Mark, but it went on to say, do not be ashamed of Him. That is 
commit and live because God is worthy of our worship and praise. That's not the only place he had something to say about it. Look over in chapter 7, verse 15. Colas says, in my vain life I've seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Well, why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this and from that withhold not your hand for one who fears God shall come out from both of them. It's hard to understand, but I think at least we can say is that we should fear God in the midst of adversity and we should fear God in the midst of prosperity. Isn't that what we deal with in life? I'm reminded of uh, in Fences' movie with Denzel Washington. He tells his son, you got to take the crookeds with the straights. you got to take the crookeds with the straights. Now all the, that his character represented, I would not commend, but anything that is wise comes from God. And that's true. Young men and young women, I can tell you, you've dealt with some heartache and some struggles and some difficulties already in life. You've lost ball games and You've failed serves and you've missed free throws and you haven't always made A's and maybe you tried your best and just your best wasn't good enough. And in your mind, that's what your world to some degree is consumed of right now. But you've already found out an important lesson about life. It don't always work out. You have to take the crookeds with the straight. At the end of the day, for the life of the believer, the one who recognizes the glory of God and who He is, they understand we worship Him and we honor Him in adversity and in prosperity. I can't tell you the number of times this week I thank God for being sick. Because I've learned things about me. I have been tempted in a lot of ways that I hadn't been tempted in a long time over the course of the last two weeks. I hated it. I hated the temptation. When my body was weak, Satan was at work, tempted me in my flesh and causing me to think thoughts that I have not thought about, causing me to respond to people at times in ways that I would not want to respond to them at other times. But I thanked God for it because it exposed to me again the ugliness of my own heart. And left me with nothing to stand on. But the grace of God. And his forgiveness. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is why.
the good shepherd prods and goads and points again that we worship God in times of adversity and in times of prosperity. Look over in chapter 8. Again, Koala just didn't draw up on these things. Oh, the grace of God is at work in him, showing him. In verse, nine, in verse 10, Then I saw the wicked buried. In other words, he attended a funeral. The last six weeks, I've had folks that have been close to me that have had loved ones that have passed away. Aaron, we pray for you, brother. Still do. Alan McKeithen passed away. Wesley Dunn, boy I went to high school with and dated my sister, passed away. Janice's first cousin's son, Jerry Wayne Garrett, passed away. And I could go down the list of those that I know that are close to me or someone that I know who have passed away. He attended a funeral. He attended the funeral apparently of a wicked. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. And this also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. What's he saying? That everything goes well for the righteous and those who fear God? No, he just said that God has not forgotten His promise to them, that promise resting in the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they fear before Him, but it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will He prolong His days like a shadow because He does not fear before God. What do we understand? Oh, this thing of fearing God is serious. So serious that the last statement made, should we ever forget, listen to me, no matter where you go, no matter how dark it gets, please hear this today. I beg you, if you don't hear anything else, hear this today. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whatever good or evil. You can't hide. You won't hide. I don't know if James Taylor's come to know the Lord. I'm planning on writing him though during these 21 days, I'm writing James Taylor. Whether it gets to him or not, I don't know. But I'm going to write to him. I love his music. I think he seems to be a sweet, honest-natured man, as much as I can tell from hearing his comment. 
but I'm going to write him and I'm going to tell him about Jesus. Because unlike Quentin and no matter what Quentin said, no matter what Arthur Miller wanted to try to communicate, no matter what his worldview was, no matter what he was trying to do to shape our way of thinking about life, I'm not here to call that into question. That's between him and God. At the end of the day, the shepherd said this, the one that goads and prods, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Turn, please, to Ephesians. If you're, if you're the least bit uncertain as to what all of this means, this should clear it up. In chapter 2, you're familiar with it. Hear it in light of what we just heard. Apostle Paul writes, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Mind you, hold your finger there and turn back to Ecclesiastes just one minute because you need to hear this. In chapter 7 and verse 20, let this rest on you. This wise man that wrote Proverbs, arranged them, all given by the one shepherd where all truth and the only truth comes from, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. That's what he said. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. He was talking to me. He was talking to you too. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, this one shepherd. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Is there purpose and meaning and life in this fallen world? Yes. 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 Realized how? In the worship of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. How is that possible when there is no righteous man who does good all the time but sins? That is possible by the grace of God who looks down on us in love and tenderness and care and seeks to redeem a people for His own glory, those who will worship Him now. Honor Him now. Suffer with Him now. Suffer for Him now. Praise Him in adversity and in prosperity who will love Him and abandon all and release everything that is good to grab a hold of and seize and not let go of that which is best. That's what it means to fear God and keep His commandments. May the grace of God rest on you to know Him to that end. I want to ask Adam and Lena to come.